That's a dreadful ball and Chelsea could be in here with Goff who goes for goal and scores! Finds the back of the net! Henri! What a goal! Inspiration for Arsenal from Thierry Henri! Medler, lovely cushion header for The Ghost Goal Podcast. The Ghost Goal Bowl returns this time as Chelsea travel to Arsenal to take on the Gunners in a fourth versus fifth matchup. We're going to preview that plus all the other Premier League matches this weekend and talk a little transfer news and some other news close to our heart. I'm Alex here with Javier. Uh, Andrew is uh, once again off tonight. He's going to be off for the uh, next couple of weeks during the NFL playoffs if you uh, didn't listen to the pod the other day. But Javier, we're here. What better way to preview an Arsenal-Chelsea game than with an Arsenal and Chelsea fan? Uh, yeah, obviously, very, very earlier in the season. We're going to watch together, which it could be it could be disastrous. Just for either I mean, of for us. Either yeah, of us. It could Let's be disastrous for either of us. It's very risky proposition, but... One I'm much looking forward to, but also quite nervous about because my team's been letting me down lately. So it's just it's it's not easy to be pumped up for this game right now, you know? If if we even if we if we just if we'd steadied the ship after the Liverpool game, I would have been happy, but we haven't. We've we've you know, we've still struggled, so that's where I'm like, ugh, I think we might not get the result we want in this game. Just just a little preview. We'll see. At least we at least we won't get like the delusional Javier. No, definitely preview, not. But uh, we'll we'll get to that. We'll get to that preview a little bit later in the pod. We're going to start out with a couple topics close to our hearts, both Arsenal and Chelsea hearts. Uh, it was announced yesterday, I believe. Peter Cech announced at the end of the season he's going to retire completely from football. He's he's what 36, 37 right now. I think he just turned thirty seven. Yeah. So yeah. You'd think he had a couple more years left in him, maybe I a couple he has more years. Other, just a, so uh, many other things going level. on. Like he's such a talented guy that, like football, like yeah, he's been he was amazing at that. He can go be amazing at like other things in his life now. Just an awesome guy. It, it kind of caught me by surprise. I'm not gonna lie. I, I kind of expected. Yeah, him so to did like, I thought maybe he'd play a couple uh, more years too. But I really, I mean, I respect his decision. I think. It's probably a good time. If he he's he was starting to decline, not necessarily in um, at the beginning of the season. He looked pretty good in gold. You remember he looked bulked up, and people thought, "Hey, you know this guy's going to be uh, good for Arsenal this year and keep Leno out." And then he got hurt, and maybe he's come back not a hundred percent, and that's why he's retiring. You know, maybe that injury was worse than what we all know. And when you get hurt at the age of 36 or 37, who, who knows how that's how that affects his body. Well, he's, he's played since he's played league or league cup and FA cup games for you guys. So he's back from the injury. It's just, that he hasn't been able to get himself back into the first team for every right. single league game I mean, for this season. What I remember is him obviously not really diminishing in terms of his shot stopping, but that passing out of the back uh, storyline at the beginning of the season really for you bad. guys was a yeah. pretty glaring one. You guys, like, like Cardiff were pressing you in like the third or fourth game of the season. And everyone was just sort of looking around like, what is happening? Why can't Arsenal pa- pass out for the back? And he definitely was at fault for at least uh, part of that. Um, I don't, I don't want to go as far as to say that the game kind of has passed him by, but I, I think the things that made him 
No, it definitely it definitely has. The best I mean, it's, goalkeeper it's like just aren't aren't the, the requirement for a modern goalkeeper is now such that you have to be good with your feet. I mean, not all modern goalkeepers, but at the, t- at the top, top clubs, clubs yes. at like but all the young goalkeepers now are like practicing to be good with their feet and skilled and you know yeah they're raised that way it's like a se- it's second nature to them Ch- check came up during a time where that i mean that was not right. that was not the standard he was he, chelsea bought him in 2004 he broke the record for clean sheets in uh premier league season his first year at chelsea with uh, i want to say 21 uh no one's come close to that since he only conceded 15 goals in the league that year a record that still stands the, the biggest the, the two biggest storylines from his career that I, I think deserve to be discussed were the gruesome injury he suffered in 2006 playing against Reading uh, that almost killed him, never mind uh, almost ended his career. He had to completely relearn how to walk and read, how to do basic motor functions. And he got back in the field about a year or a year and a half later with that uh, with that uh, helmet that everyone knows him for so well now. And there, there was a year or two there where he wasn't quite the same. And I, I would argue that he never really got back to that same form that he that he had in like he, his first two years. He never years got Chelsea, his fearlessness back. It was between like it well, it was between him and Buffon back in that first one or two seasons for the best goalie in the world. And Buffon kind of like took that mantle when he won the World Cup and had that great Italy team. And Czech never really had that chance, obviously, because since he's from the Czech Republic. But uh, in terms of club football, he was he was really considered right up there as one of the best in the world, quite possibly the best in the world. And then he eventually uh, got a chance to have his uh, time in the sun in not only the double winning season in 2009-10 for Chelsea, but the Champions League run in 2012, where he saved a penalty from Arjen Robin in extra time, had a bunch of amazing saves during that uh, game in the final against Bayern Munich, and then saved two penalties in the in the shootout. He was completely pivotal, just as pivotal as uh, Didier Drogba was. And everyone remembers that finals, the one Drogba dragged Chelsea to victory. Czech was right there with him, dragging us along yeah, to get he, the win he's, there. He's, so, even though his time at Arsenal, we've won an FA Cup and you know hasn't been as fruitful as I'm sure he wanted. He wanted to win the title with Arsenal, but he's been a great leader, uh, a fantastic example for all the players. And you can tell that everyone looked up to him in the team. Uh, you know, the day that he walked into the dressing room, he already had an effect on it. And he's just he's just an awesome human being. And I'm sure he's going to continue being part of football in some way. And I wouldn't be surprised if one day he becomes a manager because the guy's got a he's a really smart guy and a natural leader. So he's got the right ingredients to do something like that. Yeah, we're going to miss him for sure. Um the, the, the thing that makes me most sad about this retirement uh, in particular is that I'm pretty sure Czech now is the uh, the last one of Chelsea's like golden generation. He's the last one to retire. Drogba retired last year. Uh, Terry uh, last year also. Lampard a couple of years ago. Czech was the really last the last of the sort guard. of uh, vestige of the old guard and he's gone. And uh, yeah, it, it's real. It's real. We're going to have to get used to it. Or Chelsea fans are going to have to get used to it. Um, but not uh, drifting too far away from the uh, Chelsea Arsenal headlines, Cesc Fabregas left Chelsea uh, late last week. I, th- I think we just kind of forgot to include it because it was kind of it was talked about so much up until the moment it was announced that um, you know you just kind of figured everyone had heard about it and it wasn't really worth talking about. But he left Chelsea on a ten million uh, pound move to Monaco. Uh, where he rejoins former Arsenal teammate Thierry Henry. Uh, 
Andrew had a question for us that we were talking about in our Ghost Goal group chat this week. We basically asked, at what club was Cesc Fabregas at his best at? He's obviously started his career uh, in Barcelona at their academy, moved to Arsenal and got his debut uh, under Arsene Wenger when he was 16 years old or something like that. I remember him scoring against Chelsea in a community shield when he was 16, uh, back in like 2005 or something. Um, And then went back to Barcelona, played three or four seasons there, uh, won a league title there, and then came back to the Premier League and won two league titles with Chelsea. So Javier, I know your answer to this, but make make the case. Why was Arsenal the best Cesc Fabregas? Basically because at the age of 16, coming into the Premier League, um, you know, an extremely physical league at the time, he basically changed the league. He, at, until that point, there had, like, Paul Scholes was in the league, but there hadn't really been, like, like a, a marauding, attacking midfielder um, with, like, short stature most of them were like big um you know could could muscle could score headers this was here was a guy who was like you know five foot seven scrawny kid who just you know at 16 years old was playing out of his mind and really the entire time he was at arsenal he was arsenal's talisman he was you know we played everything through him he was the metronome of the team he made the team uh, you know, tick offensively, defensively, you know, he was a leader. He had so many assists. He was the leading assist on Arsenal, like almost every year he played, which was really hard to do uh, in a team with, you know, so many creative talents. And yeah, I just, I, I love that he always wore the badge on his shoulder while he played too. He, he, you know, he was always kissing the crest, always, you know, playing his heart out, never gave up. And, you know, he had so many memorable goals and moments for Arsenal that I, I, I just, you know, he, he played a really, you know, the longest at Arsenal as well. And yeah, I mean, I just, I thought at, at Arsenal, he was our talisman at Chelsea. He, he did win titles. So, you know, at Arsenal, all he won was an FA cup and it's, it's, I'm sure for him, he's very happy. He won those titles and he doesn't regret going to Chelsea. And I'm glad that he won those titles. I just, I wish that it had been at Arsenal, but he, he was, really good in those seasons at Chelsea. I just think that he wasn't as a talismanic influencer on the game. I mean, he basically made it so that after that, players like, you know, Tevez and... Um, what? Yeah. Tevez? I'm saying... In I'm, I'm saying just like scrawny, smaller players, David Silva. I was, okay, so like, I would, I would say like... Yeah, he opened the door just for, for smaller... Tevez, there were- there, there were scrawnier strikers. Uh, yeah, you're right. You're right. Strikers, but just like attacking, players, attacking, like also midfield. just like that position of like creative attacking midfielder was. I feel like a lot of players then tried to emulate Cess play from from a young age, which is, you know, Arsene Wenger has actually been you know quoted as saying that Cess Fabregas was the player that like changed his mind on like. You know what was good in football. <laughs> he basically went from thinking. We all saw how that. He, he basically <laughs> went from thinking like, you know, I need I need big, strong, tall players to I need players who can pass the ball, be good with their feet, and you know have creativity and vision. So it's you know for me he was he was I'll always very fondly remember him for his time at Arsenal, and obviously my only regret was going him going to Barcelona, but. That was inevitable, and yeah, that was a big saga for like a it was year like three or two. Three or four years. Like, remember, he like 
he like won the it started the Euros in two, or the World in, Cup, and then uh, one of the Bart like I think Gerard yeah, Piquet or someone in put a Barcelona yeah, jersey and it on him until two thousand twelve. So you know it was a pretty long saga. Yeah, he went to Barcelona around two thousand twelve. Uh, won one league title there, uh, but that yeah, I think he got there just after Pep Guardiola uh, had left, and he didn't really get to see the uh, fruits of that uh, golden generation. Uh, so he didn't quite reach like the the usual heights at Barcelona that they're accustomed to, but he came back to Chelsea uh, when he was deemed surplus to requirements. And I think there's a there's a case to be made for either side on the Chelsea versus Arsenal debate. That while he was at Arsenal, you're right, he was your talisman. Everything was played through him. He was the most important player in the lineup next to Robin van Persie. Uh, van Persie, all of the supply he got was in some way connected to Cesc playing well. The reins were effectively off. For Cesc Fabregas when he was at Arsenal. He could do whatever he want, wanted. He could go anywhere on the fields. As long as he was getting involved in the, t- the attacking play and playing well, uh, he was doing his job. I think at Barcelona, he had to learn to be a bit more of a part of a team because he obviously wasn't the most talented player there. There's plenty of other players with uh, his skill set at Barcelona, Xavi and Iniesta and Messi as such. Uh, but when he came back to the Premier League and played for played for Chelsea, he sort of built off of that uh, experience playing uh, in a bigger club like Barcelona. And he fit into a system at Chelsea that I think there were a lot of doubters over whether he was going to be able to play in like the defensive system that Mourinho had set up there. But really with the purchases of Fabregas and Diego Costa in 2014, that's pretty much what led to Chelsea winning those two titles in the next three years. Those two players to add to Eden Hazard and his goals and creativity. The rest of the lineup was pretty much solely like defensively focused players. And everything creatively from deep areas came from Cesc Fabregas. It made its way forward to Hazard, who would make a couple men miss, and it would eventually end up with Diego Costa. My favorite thing about Cesc Fabregas is just his malleability as a player or his uh, diversity as a player. Like you, we, Everyone thinks of him as the, the small, skillful uh, passing player with great vision. But if you think about it over the course of his career, he had to play so many different roles. Like you mentioned the attacking midfield role at Arsenal. He goes to Barcelona, he plays in like a similar position there, but eventually finds himself playing center forward. And he uh, won the Euros in 2012 playing as Spain's false nine. And he was excellent in that role. In the 2010 World Cup, he was playing a sort of like a, a wing position when he ended up playing the ball to Iniesta that uh, Iniesta scored the, the goal in the final. Then he comes to Chelsea and he gets played as a deep lying playmaker or as a defensive midfielder sitting next to Matic. And, you know, there were some games that uh, his defensive deficiencies kind of showed through. But for the most part, with the rest of the team working to sort of make up for his uh, defensive ability... He fit right in and he played three or four different roles at three or four different clubs and for his country, obviously. And he shone in all of them in, 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 a, in a different way. He's uh, an excellent player. I'm really going to miss him at Chelsea, uh, even though he was kind of uh, past it, I will say. <laughs> so um, good luck to him at Monaco. Uh, I'm looking forward to watching a few of their games and hopefully they uh, get out yeah, of the I mean, it's a, it's, there. It's a great testament um, to like, even though he was, you know, he was a little bit past it after he left Barcelona that he adapted so well to that system and became such a key no, you, player. No, he was still good those first three years. It, it's only been in the last year and a half that he's kind yeah, of Yeah, he was like good, but I'm legs. saying he wasn't, I don't know, I, I'm guessing he was definitely given a, a, a creative role at Chelsea, but he was made to do much more defensive work. And I, don't, I, don't, I never thought he was like that good at that. 
it was a deep it was like a deep creative role where he would look up and, and send long ball, balls like at 40 50 yards back line and he would send he the ball so to Diego Costa like yeah. he, did I mean, he was doing Arsenal. that at Arsenal too but just at Chelsea you just that was like almost the sole purpose of his role and he he became so good at it that yeah it basically led you guys to two league titles i mean you guys uh it was a key yeah. factor for sure um Let's move on to one little bit of news. We won't talk about it too much because I think we've discussed it before in the pod, but it looks like Gonzalo Higuain is pretty much confirmed to be going to Chelsea uh, on a loan for the rest of the season with an option to buy at the end of it. Chelsea needed a striker. It's as simple as that. Uh, <laughs> Morata obviously didn't hasn't panned out. Uh, Giroud has had some injuries this season and hasn't looked like scoring consistently when he's been in the lineup and doesn't look like a perfect fit to Sarri's system. Gonzalo Higuain, he is, he, he's not gotten better since uh, he was last coached by Sarri back in 2015 and scored 36 goals in Serie A. But I, I think he's good enough to sort of uh, play well against the, uh, the the poorer teams in the Premier League for the rest of the season and you know just, just help Chelsea secure points in games that they should be winning. That's all I really ask of him. If he comes into to big games against the top sides and manages to to score then i'll be surprised and i'll obviously take it because he's not really been a big game player in the past he notably missed a one-on-one in the world cup final and i think he's missed chances in the champions league final as well um he's got kind of a reputation for that but uh hopefully he can uh, put that aside and have a positive impact on chelsea for the rest of the year and at least plug a hole until the end of the season and help chelsea get back into champions league um do you have any thoughts about this transfer or you want to get started with the previews yeah just that basically he's obviously there to plug a hole i don't think this is a long-term solution for chelsea i think that yeah not at all <laughs> you know you basically are just using him if you get top four with him this year uh, is there an obligation to buy uh, option option yeah, I would buy, not, not take the option. I would just maybe try and get like seven to ten goals out of him, secure Champions League, and that's it. Yeah, but I uh, I don't know how effective he'll be. I'm not the biggest fan of him, um, but he's enough of a piece of shit to be a Chelsea striker. So I think he'll fit right in at your club. He's racist. You know, he's fat. What? So I'm sure Abramovich will love him. I'm sure everyone on the team where, will welcome him in. Where did where did the racism claim come from? Is this just, or is this just lobbing grenades? Well, he's already? an Argentine, and I mean, you can you just see him. He all he screams at all of his teammates like continuously at like every club he's ever been on. He's just he, only the black exactly, ones. Usually right? it's the black ones, and I'm sure like all the Chelsea fans will applaud him for it. So. I just want to put it out there that Gonzalo Higuain is not racist. There is no history of racist abuse. Or yeah, no, like that. I just, I just, Javier I just threw just, that in there. Javier's just getting his early Chelsea, licks in so on a new Chelsea. You know, automatically player. makes you a yeah. racist, basically. <laughs> it, it, it's a Chelsea troll. It's not a Higuain troll. Um, but yeah, that'll be an interesting uh, <laughs> development this season as Chelsea look to fix their striker problems. But let's get started with the previews. Uh, we'll run through a whole bunch of these we'll start with wolves and Leicester city saturday morning 7 30 a.m andrew's got a 1-1 draw i've got a 2-1 win for wolves and javier what do you yeah, got? I agree with you alex i got a 1-0 win for wolves interesting mid-table clash don't want to sit on this for too long but there's a lot going for both these teams in mid-table they've kind of been up and down at times Leicester city after that uh really good week or so in december where they managed to beat chelsea away and man city at home have since gone crashing out of the FA Cup to uh, Newport Town and uh, lost to teams like Cardiff. And who did they lose to last week? 
why am I blanking on this? But they just lost a game last week against a uh, they they just lost to Southampton, right? So they've lost to Cardiff and Southampton in the span of the last month, when also beating Chelsea and Man City. So that gives you gives you an idea they of are how very, uh, very much of a Jekyll, Jekyll and Hyde right team now. they are. Yeah, so that'll be an interesting one to uh, wake up for. Uh, Let's go to the 10 a.m. games. Bournemouth hosting West Ham. Andrew has a 1-1 draw for this one. I've got a 2-2 draw. And Javier, what do you have? This one, earlier in the season, I definitely would have picked Bournemouth, especially in those first 10 games when West Ham were terrible. But it just seems like these two teams are are apart. And West Ham just beat us, so I'm going to say 2-1 West Ham. All right, fair. Liverpool are going to host Crystal Palace, also at 10 a.m., Andrew has a 2-0 win for Liverpool. I've got a 3-0 win for Liverpool. And Just one sec, a caveat. Arsenal are usually the team that like spurs a team into good form. Like we did it with Southampton, right? Like ever since they beat us, they've looked like, you know, dangerous and threatening. We've done it with like United like multiple I think years. That might be the We've new done it with bump. like just so many teams that need that when they need a lift, just come to Arsenal. Come to Arsenal. We'll we'll give it to you, buddies. All right, we'll see if West Ham can continue that form. Uh Again, Liverpool hosting Crystal Palace. Andrew's got 2-0. I've got 3-0. Javier, what do you uh, got? I got 2 nil. Pool. I think this one's pretty cut and dry. Liverpool are suffering from uh, not an injury crisis at the minute, but there are a few uh, important injury uh, factors going into this one. Trent Alexander-Arnold is set to miss the next two to four weeks. Uh, Joe Gomez is still coming back from an injury. I don't think he's fully fit yet, so you'll probably see James Milner. Uh, oh, drop no. into right back James with Milner Klein out right on loan. They'll yeah, they'll totally probably be fine. fine. Um, <laughs> uh, there's still some injury issues with them at center back. We talked last uh, last time about Fabinho playing center back, but uh, Matip is expected to be back. As long as Van Dyke's injury, uh, as long as Van Dyke is healthy, I would say you could put I don't know, you could put a a, a, a cone next to him, and they'd probably be somewhat okay at the back. He, he's him and Allison are the main. Uh, are the main uh, men in that back line to, to keep them from really falling apart. And I don't think Crystal Palace really provide too much of a threat, even on the counter right now, to go to Liverpool and uh, win. Do, do you really think there's like any chance with these injuries the Palace pull off like a similar upset to the one they had at City a few weeks ago? No. No, I just, I think that, yeah, Liverpool, simple as that. <laughs> Liverpool seem to have pat down these home games against lower opposition and I mean they've just they blew us away 5-1 at home in their last home game so I <laughs> Javier I don't know how long it's going to take you to realize but Arsenal aren't that yeah we're good. not that good I know Palace are probably better <laughs> than us defensively it's not a barometer for success for sure. anymore did you beat Arsenal is more like a uh, it's like the standard for if you're a good team you know like <laughs> Yeah, we'll see how that one plays out. Uh, I'm sure we would have said the same thing about uh, Palace going into that Man City game a month or two ago. So uh, we'll, we'll see if they can give us another surprise this season. Uh, Manchester United are going to host Brighton at Old Trafford, also at 10 a.m. Andrew and I both have 2-1 United. Javier, what do you have? Yeah, I have 2-0 United. I believe in them right now. And I like I've been saying, I'm uh, big, big on United right now. So... So Brighton at home is, I wouldn't say an easy game, but do you, would you say it's uh, it would be unwise of United to really mess with uh, their lineup choices at all? Obviously, they just got the win at Tottenham last week. Do you think they roll out the same lineup? Do you think they make yeah, any changes? I, I would, they obviously I would have the likes of Alexis Sanchez and Lukaku to maybe bring in. Bringing Lukaku off the bench. and Even against a team that's going to like sit deep and they, they have to try and break it down, you don't but, think but, but this, maybe this, like Mata this, in the lineup this, might be better than Lingard? 
this this team right now is I think like at the point where it can it, like teams teams can't just sit back against this team anymore. I mean, they're they're why not? I, no one's really tried to. Cardiff maybe, but they weren't very good at it. Brighton, I would argue, are like probably one of the better. Yeah, teams I mean, it'll in be interesting to see exactly how Brighton a low do block. because they um, they're like one of the teams that are best. You know, maybe not away from home, but at home, keeping a clean sheet or keeping you know keeping the game close. So maybe they can keep it keep it close here. But I, you know, I United are on such good form. They have so many good attacking players that I think it's going to be. You know, I think it's going to be pretty easy for them. So that's why I got 2-0. Yeah, Pogba's had, uh, I think, a small injury that's kept him out of practice uh, a couple times this week, but there hasn't been any like official word on whether he's a doubt for this weekend or not. I think as long as as long as long he plays, I don't foresee them having really any issues breaking down Brighton. Um, so uh, let's move on to the next 10 a.m. game, Newcastle hosting Cardiff at St. James's Park. Andrew has a 0-0 draw. I'm going to go 1-0 Newcastle. And Javier, what do you have? Uh, I've I've got one one. I kind of have faith in Cardiff here to to maybe get a result and Newcastle there. It feels like they're probably going down. That they probably are going to be that third team to go down. But really? yeah, I don't know. It just it kind of feels like that. I mean, it's between them and Cardiff, right? This is a massive game. If if Newcastle can get a win here, then that might put a little daylight between them and Cardiff, and, and they might be able to do something with it. Well, they're currently below Cardiff. They're in the relegation zone. Uh, and Cardiff are just outside of the relegation zone, so it's it's seventeenth uh, versus eighteenth. It's yeah, like you said, a huge game. It's too bad that it's going on at ten a.m. I wouldn't have been too mad if they had this at seven a.m. Actually, like the early kickoff, because I feel even though it might be a boring one, it's by far like the most important in terms of like ramifications for the bottom of the table this weekend. So that'll be an interesting one to keep an eye on. Uh, also at ten a.m., Southampton will host Everton. Andrew's got a two-one win for Southampton. I see it going one-one. Javier, yeah, I agree with going. you. I almost said nil nil, but I think Southampton they're they're good to score one at home, and Everton have been getting you know at least a goal in every game. But they both of these teams look a lot better defensively than they have all season. So I mean, Everton I think have just been way better defensively in the last month or so than they were all season. So I think they keep improving, improving on that front. And, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if, um, if yeah, if they get a draw here, if there's a nil-nil or 1-1. One, one. But I think this is going to be a close one. Watford will host Burnley in the last of the 10 a.m. games. Andrew's got a 3-1 Watford win. I have 2-1 Watford. And Javier, what do you have? I think this is going to be a fun one. I think we all got some goals in this. And I have 2-2. Two, two. Even though it's Burnley? Yeah. I, I mean, Burnley, I think they've tried to go back to that, like, defensive identity that they did last year. But that's not going to work. Like... It seems like that's... They won last week without a shot on goal, Javier. It's the first time it's ever happened in the Premier League era. They had two own goals. They had two own goals. <laughs> and they they won the game 2-1 with registering zero shots on target. I, I was impressed. Sean Dyche has reached his final form, I feel like. You know, he he can die a happy man. He yeah, well, with Watford, you're, you're, never, you're almost never keeping a clean sheet, like, at their place, so... I think this is going to be just like yeah, a brawl right. where they just throw everything at each other over and over again. And yeah, I don't, I mean, Watford could easily win this, but I think Burnley are going to be desperate enough to get something from it. Like you said, they've won three straight, so they're on good form. Yeah, they've won three straight. 
I don't, I don't want I don't want to see them go down either. So I wouldn't be uh, I wouldn't be mad about them getting a draw on this. But I, I just see Watford uh, coming out on top in the end of it. Let's get to the big one: Arsenal hosting Chelsea Saturday, twelve thirty p.m. at the Emirates. Chelsea won this fixture earlier in the season, 3-2 at Stamford Bridge, needing a Marcus Alonso winner in the 84th minute. Do you want to do picks first, or do you want to talk about it a little and then get to those at the end? Well, I mean, it's pretty obvious. This like, is a big one. This is a really important game for yeah, both teams. Yeah, I mean, this is just like our whole entire league season in one game, basically, where we have to win this game no matter what. If we don't win it, that's it. Let's just focus on Europa at that point. I mean, we still have an outside shot because Chelsea are definitely going to be dropping more points. But at that point, if there's a nine-point so gap you. or you know, <laughs> still a six-point gap, I'm, I'm going to be very worried. Yeah, so right now, as you just mentioned, there's a six-point gap between Chelsea in fourth and Arsenal in fifth. Uh, obviously, top four gets Champions League. Arsenal have been out of Champions League for the last two seasons. The main goal for the Arsenal this season was to get back into the Champions League under Unai Emery. And it looked like up until a couple weeks ago, uh, like that was going to be very attainable. And ever since, I want to say ever since that Liverpool loss, people are, I think are starting to think of Arsenal as same old Arsenal. Like nothing's really changed. Yeah, because we've also now lost to Southampton that? and West Ham. I think the Southampton loss was before that. I'm just saying we've now lost to like that bad was, uh, teams. Before that, we'd, on, we'd only yeah. lost to Chelsea and Manchester City. So... You know, it was excusable, but then, you know, suddenly we're losing to these crap teams again. And so those are definitely old Arsenal uh, habits. I think the, the the biggest old Arsenal habit was just losing 5-1 at Anfield. Obviously, Anfield is a very tough place to go to. But that's but, just an embarrassment. Know, name another yeah. top six team that's lost there by that much. Like I, I Man City in the Champions League last year and... Even that was 3-0. That wasn't 5-1. It wasn't 4-1 at halftime. But here's the thing. With Arsenal being in the position they're currently in, I think it's also worth mentioning that there's uh, very intense rumors of Arsenal's, uh, what's his official title? General manager, uh, director yeah, of football? Uh, well, no, he's just, he's our, he's our like head of scouting and, scout? you know, he was heavily involved with all of our right. signings. Sven Missenthal. Right, so there's rumors that Sven yeah, Missenthal. He's... You can't even pronounce his name. No wonder he's leaving. Sven Mislintat. He's uh, being rumored to have left the club this week. Uh, and there's interest from Bayern Munich. Uh, he, they obviously brought him over from Borussia Dortmund, where he worked very closely with Jurgen Klopp uh, during his, uh, Klopp's successful spell there. And uh, he, he was pretty much seen as the the catalyst for change at Arsenal. When he came in was when everyone started whispering about oh, maybe it really is Wenger's time to leave because why else would they bring in this other personality who's going to have a say over what players are brought into the club and how they approach the transfer market and everything. With him gone, not like not even a year after Wenger's gone, it kind of makes you think uh, everything's going to shit at Arsenal. Uh, the, the league place doesn't really help there. I'm mentioning all this now because it, it kind of feels to me like it, it could go even more wrong for Arsenal. But they also could react like a, a rat backed up into a corner. They could just come out firing in this Chelsea game, play an absolutely flawless game, beat us 3-0, and then everything's okay again. So I, I'm not completely convinced that it, things are going to continue to spiral out of control for Arsenal. Are, are, are you more pessimistic than like optimistic Definitely about this? Definitely more pessimistic because the two, two of the three people who were like the major forces behind moving Wenger out and moving 
Unai Emery in were Sven Missenslot. Missen, yeah, I can't say his name, but um, <laughs> uh, Raul Sanheli, the uh, the now last guy who's our director of footballing relations, and um, even Gazidis, who was our technical director, uh, who left for Milan. So uh, it's just it's really worrying that like the upper management is, you know, dissolving so quickly, and when there was rumors, you know, of us having no money this transfer window, I thought, you know, the, how can that be? We got to have some sort of money, and then Unai Emery just flat out Not comes rumors. out and says, Emery straight up said, "We have yeah. no money. We can't buy any <laughs> players." And I was just like, "What?" Like. And that's just super worrying to me. It's like, we need to buy players right now. We need to reinforce. We need to give this guy more money because, you know, clearly his signings have worked and, you know, he needs to keep being able to do his work. But apparently that's, and if that's the case and that's why Sven is leaving, then I don't blame him. You know, if, if you, if you're starting a project and you think everything's going well and then suddenly you're like, okay, well we need more money to keep this project going. And they're like, Nope, sorry. You're just like, wait, what? No, like we need this now. Like we don't need it later. And they're like, no, you'll have it next. Like during the summer, like when we get our, our like new sponsorship money, it's like, no, we need that money now. And the problem is that our owner isn't putting anything in. So, you know, a hundred percent of Arsenal's revenue and everything Arsenal does Go is from the club. So, you won't even mention your owner's name. What is he, Voldemort? He who shall not be named. Yeah, Stan Kroenke, the uh, the L.A. Rams owner, the Denver Nuggets owner. He owns a million teams here in America. Uh, Arsenal are just another feather in his cap. I would be very upset with the owner specifically if uh, if I was an Arsenal fan. I, I think having Wenger these last ten years was a nice sort of scapegoat for him uh, to sort of push all of the Arsenal uh, fan vitriol onto. But it, Wenger shouldn't have been manager in the first place for those 10 years. And that that, that decision rests on uh, Stan Kroenke's shoulders. So I'm uh, I'm, I'm just going to say on, on, on behalf of all the Arsenal fans, I don't like to say it because it would probably lead to Arsenal getting back to uh, being relevant again. But nothing's going to happen there until Stan Kroenke is no longer owner. And that's that's a whole lot tougher to achieve than getting your manager out. Obviously, managers are pretty replaceable in, in football nowadays. Uh, but that's Cronky out should be the next movement. We should have planes over the stadiums with Cronky out. There should be just as much hatred towards him as there is, uh, uh, or as there was towards Arsene Wenger those last couple of years. But the Arsenal fans will realize it eventually. Uh, I don't have too much to say about Chelsea uh, going into this one. We'll probably see Hazard uh, playing center forward again. Uh, it's the first time in like a month or two that Chelsea will have had a week between games to get ready. So uh, I hope that there's a much more rested and uh, energetic uh, approach to the game from uh, f- from us. Uh, but I don't anticipate Chelsea really winning. I, I think it, the, the threat of the counter that you guys have, especially at home with your, your players super confident and super... Um, I am really worried about like our, f- our they're offensive a different creativity team. in the I'm midfield. I'm worried about though. that. Because... Yeah, I mean, we're going to dominate midfield. Like, I don't think that's a question. It's just, it's Aubameyang and Lacazette being able to to take advantage of the mistakes that our backline will like, Don't you think Eden's point. just going to, like, ransack Socrates and Mustafi and Koscielny? It's possible. If it's a really open game, then, um, yeah, I think he will. But if you, if you guys try and be a bit more counterattacking and a bit more defensive with it, uh, like you were against uh, Tottenham uh, in that home game a couple months ago, then... 
I don't know. I could see you guys maybe having fewer chances, but better quality chances, and you guys being able to like take advantage of us. I have a two-two draw. Uh, that was the result in this fixture last year with Morata missing like four chances that he probably should have scored. Um, but I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with that one. Andrew has a one-one draw. Javier, how do you see this one playing out? I have a hopeful two-one Arsenal win. Like the back of my mind, I, I know it's probably not likely, but I would love it. I would be very happy. That would be uh, a good way to get back on track. Is beating Chelsea it always is. I'm not going to argue too much with that result. I could, uh, I'd be happy with any result that isn't a loss. <laughs> you know. So uh, let's move on to the Sunday games. Huddersfield will be hosting Manchester City bright and early on Sunday morning, eight thirty a.m. Huddersfield, as we discussed on the last pod, parted ways with David Wagner in midweek. Uh, they have appointed uh, Mark Hudson a uh, former center back of theirs uh, up until last year. As the interim manager, he was managing their U23s before that. He's only recently gotten out of uh, playing himself uh, in 2017. It was his last year as a player. So uh, very inexperienced at the top level. All signs point towards uh, City just sort of rampaging to victory here. I've got a 4-0 win. Andrew has a 3-0 win. And Javier, you, you, you've upped the ante. You've got yeah, a 5-0 Yeah, I almost win. said 4, but then... Uh, I was like, no, they have no manager. They're going to be in huge disarray. They probably <laughs> all realize, like, the players must know they're probably going down now, right? Like, Well, they're now looking to the club because I'm, I'm guessing they're not going to stick with Mark Hudson until for, like, for the rest of the season. They're probably going to go out and try and hire someone uh, to be made manager until the end of the season to try and keep them up. So depending on who that hire is, and there hasn't been any rumors, uh, to my knowledge, of any high profile managers, but I wouldn't be surprised if we saw like a, one of those same old faces, the ones we talk about all the time. Like, could you see like Sam Allardyce coming into Huddersfield and just sort of galvanizing that team and and getting them playing better defensively and getting them out of relegation? I cannot see that at all. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's what I'm saying. I'm saying like that type of manager, maybe like Mark Hughes, someone like that, Alan Pardew, that's what I expect of Huddersfield at this point. I don't really expect them to make like a an inspiring managerial hire. So uh, we'll, we'll probably see them back down to the championship at the end of the season. But let's move on to the last game of the weekend. Fulham will host Tottenham Sunday at 11 a.m. Uh, some interesting developments in the last week or so. Uh, we've known about uh, Ming Son's departure from the Tottenham uh, team for the Asia Cup or Asia Games. Uh, where he's gone to, uh, I think he played his first game today for South Korea when they beat China 2-0. He'll be gone for the next two or three weeks until the conclusion of South Korea's time in that tournament. And then Harry Kane was announced that uh, he's got injured in that Man United game last weekend, and he's going to be out for at least a month. Tottenham are saying two months. Harry Kane's saying one month. We'll see. He's gotten injured uh, similarly in, in the past, and he's usually come back ahead of schedule. Uh, so it's kind of hard to really pin down how long he's going to be out for, but we'll know, we know he's going to be out for this game. Uh, they've got injuries to most Musa Sissoko in midfield that will leave them a little bit shorthanded in midfield without, uh, Musa Dembele, who's moved on to playing China. So uh, any chance here of an upset, do you think? I, I, I think there is a chance. I have a one, one draw, which is kind of crazy because Fulham are in the 19th and Tottenham are in third, but Fulham haven't really... Haven't, haven't really taken any scalps this right. season yet. Can no. you think of a time during one of the big t- games where they've taken a, or got, gotten a draw They've or gotten something? close a couple times. They got close with us, sort of. No, not really, no. 
Yeah, they've been pretty bad against big, big sides, but I think Tottenham are really going to miss their, their two talismans, and I think they're going to struggle to to get goals, and I think Ranieri's just going to set them up to to defend as well as possible, and yeah, I just I think they're going to be affected by what happened, you know, injury on the injury front and saw human sung leaving. And I don't see the team just like, you know, seamlessly transitioning with Llorente or with Ali at center forward. So I think, I think, I think this is a good potential for an upset. Yeah. It's hard to really pin down how they'll, they'll probably play. We don't know if there's going to be another inclusion in the squad for someone like Oliver Skip. Uh, in midfield, or whether they're going to play uh, Christian Eriksen a little bit deeper in midfield next to Harry Winks, and then play some combination of Ali, Lucas Mora, Eric Lamella, and Fernando Llorente in like the fo- forward four positions. That that seems like the common sense fix there, but you think there's not really that much balance between the offense and defense there with uh, with that midfield and forward line. So uh, some some question marks to throw up about uh, Tottenham going into this game. I still think they'll have enough and perform well enough to uh, win this one 2-1. And Andrew's got a 2-0 win for Tottenham. The 1-1 is interesting, though. If there was ever a time for Fulham to sack up and get a result... I think they're the just going to be uh, so desperate. Looks, they're going to be at home. Do you think... Ryan Bobble. Right, Ryan Bobble. That's the other guy. They just Ryan Bobble. Who would have thought? It's 2019 and Ryan Bobble is back in the Premier League. Anything's possible, folks. Anything is possible. I wish we had Andrew. Actually, no, Andrew, Andrew, he didn't start watching Liverpool until after Ryan Bobble left. So yeah, there's he wouldn't know anything about Ryan Bobble. But I think that wraps it up for us here on the Ghost Goal Pod. Thanks for listening to the preview. Uh Thanks, Javier, for coming on this one. Uh, I wish I could say good luck for this weekend, but I wish you the greatest misery. Um, I just, I want a little bit of joy. That's it. Not the greatest okay, misery. Okay, well, just how about this? You, you guys take a lead. You guys take a first half lead. We come back and we win it 2-1. A little bit of a little bit of joy and then uh, misery How about, after how that, about you, you know? take a first half lead and then we come back and win it in the second half? So you get a little joy and then I get a little joy because I won't be that happy. You'll still be ahead of us in the league. You know, only three points, plenty, plenty of games left. We've got a harder schedule. I'd say like if we lose this one, we're in a bit of trouble. <laughs> so anything but a loss, uh, I- I'll take a slither of uh, happiness from. Uh, but once again, thanks, Javier. Uh, go follow us on social media at Andrew Passaro at ASMOS92 at Ghost Goal Pod. Javier's on Instagram at JavierRev9. Uh, go rate, subscribe, review podcast on iTunes. It helps grow the pod and helps us be visible to new listeners who are looking for more soccer pods to listen to. Uh, so go get on that right now. And until next time, bye.